You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Broadcast from the studios inside the Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Just one hour west of Philadelphia at Pennsylvania Turnpike Exit 298. Featuring nearly 1,000 classic, vintage, and barn find vehicles for sale under one climate-controlled roof. Now, here's your host, Classic Auto Mall President and the man with all the toys, Stuart Howden. Once again, what's-his-name springs excitedly to the microphone to say, Hello, it's J.R. Russ, not Stuart Howden, because once again, Stuart is out. But we're presenting another exciting best of. We've got four exciting guests from past broadcasts, and if you haven't heard them, they've got some interesting stories to tell. Now, the Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, is about an hour from Philadelphia, but only about 40 minutes from a town called Devon. However, it's spelled D-E-V-O-N, so you might say Devon, like they do in Chicago, but here it's Devon. Now, there was a sports car named Devon, spelled D-E-V-I-N, and it was made in California. And it went away, but now it's being manufactured in the Philadelphia area, but not in Devon. Stuart and his guests will explain. You know what's interesting that we were just talking about a minute ago is how many automotive-related businesses and companies and events happen right here in southeast Pennsylvania. It's amazing. Uh, one of those companies that's here is uh, the Resurrection of Devon Sports Cars. And uh, Kevin Callahan, uh, an engineer and lifelong classic car guy, uh, resurrected the brand, and he's our guest today. And uh, welcome. Glad to have you here, Kevin. Good morning. Yeah. Great to be at this facility. Yeah, it's nice it. to have you here. I I, uh, I saw one of your cars at, uh, when we were at Radnor Hunt. Uh, that's your kind of your your driver, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you saw my silver um, Devon, um, which basically a Triumph PR3. Right. Um, yeah, the Radnor Hunt. What a great event that was. Oh, my gosh. Um, I love that. Day. Right in our backyard, yep. too. How yeah. cool is that? It's as good as the Amelia. It's as good as Pebble Beach, in my opinion. I mean, it's just the beautiful countryside out there. It's just amazing. So how's the response been to the resurrection of Devon? Really, really good. Um, there's a community out there. He made over 3,000 bodies wow. of cars. So there's a community out there that hasn't not been supported since Bill Devon started. Uh, producing these cars and stuff. So amazing how many people have bought bodies and parts of cars and stuff, or how many people have gotten in offs racing. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of years here, I've been supplying front ends, vendors. Sure. Uh, say a group had had a body, but they lost the door because the data moved three times. Now they have a source to go to right. buy the doors and complete the cars. So uh, it's been a real good opportunity for me to support the communities out there and bro- grow the brand. So kind of a hobby turned into a business for you or? <laughs> yes, my, my side hustle, let's put it that way. Yeah, I have a real nine to five job yep. and, and this just started and I'm looking forward to doing more and more sure. of this as it goes on. Well, and, and Devons were produced from starting in what, 1954? Was that when they the started? Early fifties yeah. uh, to the mid sixties. Uh, Bill Devon produced race cars. Uh, sure. For the moral market there. Right. And they were, they were, uh, they were legendary. I mean, they were fast back in the day, weren't they? They were. Yeah, one of his taglines is uh, he produced national championship race cars since 1953. It was the formula that everyone was doing in Southern California. You, you took a sophisticated chassis with European parts, right. lightweight, 
You put a big American motor in it, sure. and uh, you went racing. And yeah, it you sounds were successful. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like somebody that we have heard about in the '60s did that. Maybe Shelby, like right behind me. Yeah, they, the <laughs> picture behind me. Yeah. Exactly. Bill Devin and Shelby knew each other well. Sure. Um, they talk about this Bill Devin's 75th uh, uh, birthday. Uh, Shelby was there amongst right. with a lot of other guys. So uh, they traded secrets a lot. Sure. Well, I think a lot of guys did. I mean, it, it was competitive back then, but it probably was more communal than it is nowadays. I mean, we're kind of that way in our business. I mean, we talk about our competitors. We have our we had a classic car dealer on the show last week. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's okay to talk about your competition. You know, it's not, not the end of the world. So Devin was powered by whatever the whatever you had available, or was there a recommended motor that went in them, or could you buy them with a motor, or how did that work? Well, we have two Bill Devin stories. He, right. he made um, fiberglass bodies that you could buy and put on your race car. So you DIY'd in your driveway, you had a frame, and you wanted to uh, put a nice uh, European-style body, which was lightweight and helped your race. Sure. Then Bill Devin made three models of cars. He made the Devin SS, the Devin D, and the Devin C. So getting back to your question, this flagship, the Devin SS, had that Chevrolet 283 motor in it. Right. Um, the Devin D had a Porsche motor in it. Oh, really? Very like like a Speedster. Mm-hmm. And then when Corvair came out, um, he was able to make the Devin C, which was an American-made, now, rear-engine car. Sure. And and Devin was into cars before he created this this brand of his, right? I mean, he he raced cars over in, England, in Europe and... Yeah, he, uh, not the, you know, the whole life, but, uh, his dad was a car guy. His right. dad had a dealership. He had several dealerships, which he bought and sold over time, which gave him the opportunity, the financial ability to go racing. And he did. Sure. Um, well, that's why a lot of rich guys were the guys who were racing back in the fifties and sixties. Yep. And, and not that he necessarily was rich or not. Where, what part of the world was he living in? Where, where was he from? Um, well, he started out his, Parents grew up in the Midwest, but right. he ended up in Southern California, and that's where he made all of his connections. And, uh, yeah, he wanted to go racing. He was good, but he wasn't that good. Right. And, uh, yeah. Well, you see, you know, you see a lot of that of guys who are team owners now that were, you know, started out as racers, but maybe weren't quite as good as, as uh, some of the guys that they could hire, mm-hmm. the hired guns, if you will, because Penske used to race. I mean, uh, Rick Hendrick used to race. Uh, any of the guys who are team owners now yep. used to race. So, Devin, um, um, Founded in 54 was the company. How long did he run? How many years did he run it or how long did the company stay in its original form? Probably up to 64. Right. Um, his last car was a Devin uh, GT. It premiered at the uh, New York Auto Show. He, he did have orders for 64 of them following that show. Mm-hmm. He just did not have the financial ability to and commitment to go forward and produce those. But there's two. Of these cars still remaining, they're they're worth a lot. Sure, absolutely. One just sold recently at RM Auctions, I yep. believe, brought seventy something thousand dollars, I think, for yeah, that. Yeah, John Pretty's. Um, that was a Corvair, yeah. so that was a Devon C, and um, that sold, and that was one a real good example of yeah. the original Devon C. But, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. The paint job and the interior just looks stunning yep. on that that car. So. Devons, I think, are misnomered uh, uh, for a lot uh, as kit cars. They're not really kit cars, though, are they? I mean, that's, no. That's, I'm glad you brought that up, and it does. You know, I heard Jerry Leno on his show go. They're talking. Oh yeah, Bill Devon. He, he made those kit cars. Those kit you know, cars. but uh, yeah. So a kit car, I think, came about in the um, the 70s or 80s, where people wanted to build a car that looked like something. Right. But you got to go back. Bill Devin, he built the car to go racing. That's where the DNA is. Sure. So he built the car to go racing. So it did have a fiberglass body, so it kind of falls in that kit car. But 
Well, I mean, like calling a Corvette a kit car. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just there a little bit more volume, right? Um, but, uh, but there were street legal Devons as well, too. Did he build them just for racing or did he build them for the street as well? For the street also. Yeah. He had a manufacturer's license. Um, one of the fun things I get when I bought the Devon Sports Car Company, I got banker's boxes of uh, correspondence. Wow. The correspondence between him and the California state, you know, and his uh, manufacturer's license. I still have his license plate that was given to him by the state of California wow. to manufacture cars. You How know? cool. So, uh, so when you bought the rights to Devon, did, you, did any inventory come with it? Did anything, or was it just the rights and the name and you have to go forward all on? On your own no and that's a very cool part about it um i flew out there i had to be bear jackson one year so right. um i pushed my way out to california and uh, met with the son of one of the guys who owned it and um yeah so it, it was amazing how many parts and pieces containers full wow so we looked at these containers full of jigs and the original molds and the patterns and everything and uh when i bought it one of the more fun things that came about uh i told my family i was going to do it and right yeah, I was telling my wife I'm going to buy car parts this time, not just another car. Uh, she was great about it, but That's my good. kids said, "Hey, we'll go out with you." So I have two, you know, kids, and uh, we flew out to California. We loaded up these containers. Uh, we hung out, did some surfing, hung out in California for a while, and came back. Nice, nice. a very cool weekend of my life. What made Devons different back in the day? What was made them stand out from the crowd? You know, it, they stood out from the crowd because, and uh, uh, Cobra Shelby stood, stood out from the crowd. Um, they embraced the technology that was over in Europe. Um, we did not have the components. We didn't have girl and brakes. We didn't have different shocks. So um, Shelby went out and, and as Bill Devon went out to a group in Ireland who made the chassis for him. So he had the best of the European technology that was brought back in the chassis he built from two guys in Ireland. He fitted it with a lightweight body that was actually very Ferrari-like, right? and then he put a uh, motor in there, which uh, was very powerful. Right. So what a car you had. Yeah. And, Didn't uh, he own a Ferrari, Ferrari. And, and campaign a Ferrari back in the day? He was a car dealer in a way, and um, yeah, one of the cars he had a Barquetta, right. and uh, actually Phil Hill drove that to several uh, races and was very successful in it. So, wow, that's he, pretty good provenance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of, he had Maseratis, Ferraris, and uh him and uh, Chinetti were very good friends. Right. In fact, right. there's a story we tell that they flew out and Bill Devon was going to run in Lamont one year. Right. And uh, they flew to the factory and uh, old man Ferrari did not have uh, his Devon done. Right. And it was pretty funny. Mike Hawthorne was there with him, too. And Mike Hawthorne's Devon wasn't done. Uh, Ferrari, Ferrari wasn't one. done. Right. So uh, they traveled over and they raced in uh, Lamont. Uh, actually, Chinetti did with Tommy Cole. Right. Uh, Tommy Cole had gotten off and he actually died in the race. Right. So Chinetti stayed back with Cole for the funeral and Bill Devin just floated back to the uh, Ferrari factory. Right. And, and that's where he made a lot of decisions. He said, sure. you know what? I can do this too. Sure. You know, sure. That's inspirational. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's how we really started right. building the Devin SS right. and, and getting is uh jump start in the car world. Well, and Janetti, I mean, uh, he had North American racing team, NART, which everybody yep. may or may not be familiar with. And he was the original importer of Ferraris right into the United States. And that's how Bill was getting them. Sure. sure. Yeah. And Kirk White, who have you, I don't know if you know who Kirk White is. He was a Ferrari dealer back in the day and he's got a great book. And he was another guy from yep. around here. Close, You know, I love the local connections that we have. Penske, right. You know, grew mm-hmm. up, you know, was right up the street from us here as one of their larger, uh, 
corporate uh, uh, campuses they have right here, and just all the connections of cars. And so it's a it's you know it's a natural for you to be in this area, in my opinion, uh, because of the car culture. I guess you feel that, don't you? I do, and uh, I listen to your podcast. It's funny. Um, our facility now is an X Reading truck body facility right. over in Willow Grove. You know, it's so nice that people are continuing to carry on the tradition, and I hope I, I would imagine that's your hope as well too. Is that Devin the tradition and the memories of it will come to fruition, and and people will want to own a Devin sports car built currently, uh, uh, and you're building them now, right? Yes, and not whole cars, yet, right? But. Um, what we're excited about right now is we're actually building two test and development vehicles. Nice. Um, and we're sorting out everything. One is being shipped to Europe and be completed in Europe. One will be here in the United States. So that's going to give us uh, a lot of insight to what Bill Devon, uh, the story of Bill Devon really hasn't been told. Right. Uh, people go, I know Shelby. Well, yeah. you know Shelby because <laughs> you saw the movie. There's right. not a movie about Bill Devon. Devon's sometimes were like a, um, a model airplane. Everybody bought them, but no one actually finished right. building them all. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, but you slept better knowing that it was in your garage and your dreams lived on. Say Jaguar, they have a continuation car. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these manufacturers are doing it now. So, um, yeah, can we produce a continuation car of the Devon SS, which is his flagship? I, I think that would be really well received mm-hmm. by people. I do too. Um, it's a beautiful design, and especially like the one that you drive. I was just noting, if you go on with the website, which is uh, your website is devonsportscars.com, I think. You almost have it. Yeah, Devon Sports Cars and maybe LLC at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I think it is. Yeah. Um, you can Google it and, and find it, and uh, uh, that's just that gray one with the red stripe is just absolutely stunning. I would think that that car, I imagine you get car offers on that car all the time, and everybody probably wants to buy it from you, I would imagine. It's great, and I, I judge my car shows on how much voice I have left when I, when I come home from them. I, have I been talking all day? And I realize I just talk the whole day. And guys come up to me and say, like, man, everybody's just hanging out around your car. And I go, well, it's something they haven't seen before. It catches their eyes. Um, you and I probably grew up watching Speed Racer. So Absolutely. My eyes are focused to a car that looks like that, you know. So, uh, yeah, when yeah. I go home not being able to speak, it was a good car show. It was a good day, yeah. wasn't it? Please don't forget to check out Kevin's uh, website. Uh, if you have any questions for him, I'm sure you can email him on the site and uh, sign up for his newsletter. And uh, sign up for our newsletter as well, too, and you'll learn everything about cars that uh, maybe we'll get to sell at Devon one of these days. So yeah, that'd be we, great we'd, to get one we'd, in there. We'd, we'd love to do that. And uh, thanks again, Kevin, for being on the show. Okay. Come visit us at Classic Auto Mall. See our website for hours and location. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Segment two of this Classic Auto Mall Best Of is Stewart's interview with a man who's never tired of his business ventures. 
We're joined by our guest today, Mr. Wade Kawasaki, coming to us from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a fond place in my heart. Uh, welcome, Wade. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, great day here, as you said, in Chattanooga. Look forward to chatting with you. Yeah, me too. I, you know, you're you're a displaced California guy in Chattanooga, man. When, when I used to come visit here, I used to spend one week here right. a month. And uh, you know, at that time, Corky was trying to get me to move out. I said, there's no way, absolutely no way. I can't go from Los Angeles to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Sure. I got to tell you, I, I've lived here eight years now. It's an amazing city. And uh, you know, we, my wife and I just really, really enjoy it here. Yeah, well, you moved there, uh, obviously, because uh, yeah. you were involved with Coker Tire, and uh, that uh, evolved into some other companies and a new company. What's uh, where? Where are you currently well, staying yeah, with that? I know. Started out, you know, Corky and I were partners in Coker Tire. Uh, moved out here about eight years ago. We started acquiring other companies. So we acquired Wheel Antiques. We acquired Munchner Old Timer Ruffin in Germany, which is the largest supplier of vintage and collector car tires in Europe. And so, uh, it started building into the Coker, kind of the Coker group. Right. Uh, that at one point we decided, hey, now is a good time, uh, to look at exiting and, uh, to, to sell the company and the family wanted to get out. So, uh, you know, we, we, I went through a sale process. We were able to be acquired uh, by a private equity group. Uh, they required me, as you just mentioned, to <laughs> stay for three years as CEO, which which was fine. I, I love our team. Sure. I love our customers. I love the industry. You know, we've got Haggerty and Hemmings, all these great partners that we I really enjoyed that interaction with. And so I didn't have a problem staying with the uh, staying those three years. But uh, those three years are up. I'm still a partner within the company. Still deeply care right. about the company, its partners, and its customers. So still really involved in that, but now I'm I'm out of the kind of the day to day operations. Uh, I, you know, I, I I always tease I would I would love a regular full time job now, like a forty hour full time job, not an eighty hour full time yeah, job like I, the one I, I had. Do. I'm a hundred percent with you. If you, if you find one of those gigs for me, let me know. You know, listen, uh, you know, because there is no off days anymore in work. You know, you know as well as I do that you're answering your phone because if you don't, or if you don't answer the emails, you're going to have too much on your plate come Monday morning. So you you just have to take it and go. I have to ask you a question though. How in the world do you have a picture of you and Max Verstappen? And I'm assuming an Aston Martin, uh, from somewhere back in the day. Where did that come from? (laughs) <laughs> I'm jealous. Well, it, was, it, was, it was a fortunate day at the SEMA show. And I think it was in two, I, I forget exactly what year it was. Max was 20 years old, but uh, Max actually came to the SEMA show after he just won the Mexican Grand Prix wow. to do some donuts and one of the Red Bull cars out in, at our, um, out in our, uh, SEMA ignited. And so we, we, we did that and I was able to, get him in a car and drive him to see him ignited. Spent two hours just alone with him in a car. Wow. Two car guys talking about car stuff. The, that young man, unbelievably poised, unbelievably mature, just a great guy to have a two-hour conversation about cars. Well, and you know as well as I do that car guys are car guys. We always see it. At, we say it about the auctions. You can have the... You know, a, a guy who's a blue collar worker, you can have a middle income guy and you right. can have a wealthy guy and they're all talking as if they're on the same page. And I'm sure that happened with you and Max. And you talk about poison. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable to watch him and, and the way he carries himself and handles himself. Uh, it's mighty impressive to watch. It, it certainly is. And I mean, what an amazing talent, right? I mean, then when he won the Mexican Grand Prix, 
that car was very tough to drive. It was very difficult oh. and it was, it was down on power. And still he was able to make that thing go and make that, uh, and make that car win. And I just did an amazing job. And of course now as world champion, it's uh, an exciting to watch that growth. Absolutely. Well, and watching him, uh, what he did with, uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, last weekend in Miami. I mean, he, had, yeah. we thought Leclerc was going to get him at a couple of different points there towards the end. And he just didn't have the, you know, that straight line speed that the Red Bull car had was just un, uh, untouchable. Uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. I wish I'd have gone to that race. My son kept trying to talk me into going and I, you know, we're, we travel so much. It's so hard to get away to do everything you want to do. And that's got to be tough for you. How do you, how do you determine on your schedule when, what you say yes to and what you say no to? Yeah. You know, that's a really tough thing, you know, but uh, basically I kind of lay out my schedule for the year. I look at those things that I must attend and then we try to kind of backfill it in with, with other things. And so, uh, yeah, and, and that's the exciting thing. You know, we, we, it, we're passionate car enthusiasts, so we get to do these things. I mean, you know, in the past it would be, oh, I have to do all of this stuff. Well, now I, I'm, I get to do it. So it's, it's a fun thing. In fact, we're just finalizing plans for some of the things that we're going to be doing in Monterey with Car Guy Adventures. And so that's how kind of far out we are with Monterey and SEMA. And then the PRI show. Sure, sure. And the Car Guy Adventures, for those that don't know, explain a little bit about that, that, uh, what you do with that. Yeah, so, you know, we started Car Guy Adventures, and I mean, Coker Tire has a great social media presence, but we really found that influencers are what really move the needle. And so we said, hey, you know what, well, let's go ahead and put Car Guy Adventures together. So I did that, and I started just sharing some of the things I got to do, right, especially during COVID. And that's when the thing really took off, when I said, hey, people aren't getting, aren't able to go to these great car events so I'm there. I might as well just grab my iPhone, put it up, and start doing some selfie videos, and they kind of took off from there. So just the ability to let people share some of the cool car guy things that are going on around the world. Sure, absolutely. And, I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, we some people have to live vicariously through others sometimes just to experience these things. I mean, not everybody can yeah. go to Monterey. Not everybody can go yep. to Scottsdale in January or, or any yep. of the big events or Amelia Island. I mean, it's it's – it's expensive to do these things by the time, right? you know, hotel rooms are just, it's just unbelievable how expensive it is. I can't believe my, between what I paid for a pickup truck and what I pay for a hotel room, I'm sure my dad and my grandfather are rolling over in their graves, you know, it's just expensive. So it's nice to be able to, we, we don't always realize that, you know, we're all kind of insulated and we go to all these events and we get to experience all these things, but we don't. You don't always realize that not everybody gets to do that. And so yeah. it, it, this next best thing is to have somebody like you go there and experience it like you do with Meekum. You seem to have a really l- good uh, relationship with Meekum and uh, do a lot of things with them. Is that by design or is that just part of the, the events that you do? Yeah, it, it's certainly by design. I mean, uh, Dana Meekum and Frank, they do a great job at that auction. They do a great job of bringing entry-level people that may have never, ever been on a car on to an auction, bring those people into the auction, help them understand what's going on, and then being able to have them bid and, and purchase the, the car of their dreams. And so it, it's a great relationship. Of course, Corporate Tire is a major sponsor for Makeup, so that kind of connected me into that. But yeah, enjoyed that auction, enjoyed bringing people in. And you, you mentioned that super expensive going to some of these events. You're absolutely right, but a lot of people don't even know about these events. Exactly, right? yeah. So if they never bid on a car... So hopefully they feel comfortable enough after they watch me go through all of this. And I've gotten a number of messages. This is the best thing in the world, right? I've gotten a number of private messages where people say, hey, 
never went to these auctions, started watching you, watched it on TV, went to the Meekum auction at Kissimmee and bought a car. Yeah. And now my kids, yeah, my kids <laughs> love it. Every, my, all my neighbors love it. It's just the greatest thing. Yeah. I love that part of the hobby of, of turning somebody on to the hobby. And, uh, yeah. and I, I, you know, we, we always, we jokingly call it the hobby. I, you know, it, it is a, you know, it's a business now. There's no question about it. We all consider that it's a, it's not only a hobby, it's a business, but I'm going to always refer to it as a hobby because in my mind, that's what it is. And that's what it always will be. Some of the events that you've done and participated in, I know that uh, Coker was a big sponsor or the main sponsor of the great race, right? Yeah. So we actually own the great race. Oh, okay. So that was one of the, one of the things that we, we do. So when you own the great race, unfortunately, you now cannot participate <laughs> in the great race. Gotcha. But, uh, well, you know, that's part of it. You can't have everything, right? You're listening to the Classic Auto Mall podcast, broadcasting from the Classic Auto Mall, Morgantown, Pennsylvania. It's uh, it's a blessing what we have here, and we're so thankful to have it and uh, to be able to build a studio in our massive building and, uh, you know, uh, intersperse it around the cars and then have great guests like Mr. Wade Kawasaki. We appreciate you being here, and uh, we're talking about events and cars, and you can't do the great race uh, because of your ownership. How about the Tale of the Dragon? Have you done that? I have done Tale of the Dragon, <laughs> I'll tell you. That. And that's one of the beautiful things about living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, is you're so close just the most beautiful driving roads in the world. I've got a garage full of cars here at home, and I just love taking on the Taylor's Dragon. It's such a great ride. So what's your go-to fun car to get in when you need to go blow off some steam and, uh, you know, <laughs> get the cobwebs out? Really, my go-to car is my daily driver. My daily driver, uh, Jack Roush, built me a Roush Stage 3 uh, Mustang back in 2019 and uh, just really did a great job with it. It's a one-of-one car. It's in a vintage livery i think you might be able to see that helmet over my right shoulder i do <laughs> that gave me that as a gift which was a, a wonderful thing but uh yeah they they put together an amazing roush stage three mustang and then put a lot of their race car technology in it and the race car carbon fiber splitters and rear diffusers we sent the car over to speed four they didn't you're very familiar with the guys yeah. at speed four did a great live vintage livery on the car Installed a six-point roll cage, have a drift brake put into it, and oh, literally, that's what I drive every day. So, so I, I blow so, off a lot of steam in that. <laughs> well, you know, we have some great little, not quite the tail of the dragon, but some great roads around here, and it's fun just to, every once in a while, just take off and go drive just for no particular reason, you know, that that was... I grew up doing that. I mean, we, when we were kids, we would just take off and go drive. We didn't even have a particular destination. We just time to go somewhere, you know? Well, and, and I gotta admit, so one of our companies is in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Universal Vintage Tire, and it is one of my favorite places to ride my Harley. Well, thank you for everything you do in the hobby, for the hobby and in the hobby. And anything we can do to help you let us know in our small little way, we'll be glad to. And uh, enjoy, Mika, and uh, great to have you on. We'll hope to have you on again some other time. All righty. Goodness gracious. Great guest. Wayne wow. Kawasaki, great guy. Dream gig. Questions or comments, contact us at podcast at classicautomall.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783.
or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor if you want the truth about politics medicine weapons classic cars and more you'll want to tune in to america's web radio you can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast app That's www.americaswebradio.com. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Segment three of this Classic Auto Mall Best Of has Stuart going international with a guest who deals with high-dollar toys from the exotic land of Canada. We're so happy to have a guest on today. Uh, Brad Phillips, the Senior Vice President of Business Development at RM Sotheby's. Uh, fairly new job, Brad. How long have you been on the, the job there in uh, out of Chatham, Ontario, Canada? You, you know, when I step off the plane back at Scottsdale Auction Week in January, it'll come around to a full year. Nice, nice, nice. So you started out right before Scottsdale. That's pretty yeah. cool. I did the same thing with eBay Cruise. I went to my first auction. I worked for them back in 2001 was the... Sale at uh, Rawhide in Scottsdale, which was a nightmare sale. Oh my God. We tried to do a sale in a dusty Western town and you can only imagine the, the fun and difficulties that went on with that. So, uh, uh, that was a lot of fun. But of course, you know, anything you do in the auction business is fun, right? Well, well, the goofy part of it was, yeah, it was my first auction as an RN employee, but I've been going to the Scottsdale auction you know, for 12 years. So I, you know, you walk in, you're like, okay, there it is. That's where all the stuff's supposed to be. <laughs> so what, what were you most surprised about from being the outsider looking in from being the insider looking out? Was there something that shocked you or surprised you or what was the perspective? Well, you know, what's really cool about what I've learned about the auction business is how much of it's actually really set up and preordained when the auction begins. And, you know, as, as someone looking on from the outside before, you feel like, oh, great, they got all these great cars and all these fun people in the room and on the phones, and I guess they'll figure it out. Right. No, <laughs> they're working hard to figure that stuff out. So when that auction goes live, they've had 80 phone calls on every one of those cars. So they know who's calling in. They know who's in the room. They know about what numbers they're going to be expecting. Sure. They know whether to be going, okay, this is going to work out great, right. or... Somebody get another bidder in here. Right. And I, I think that's difficult for everybody, but, uh, it, it was, it's cool because it, you know, there's a lot of people who have never tried an auction before. And I think that's important for people to know that it's not just Vegas odds on whether the right person's going to be around to buy your car. Yeah. It, uh, it's that working really hard. You know, what's interesting about it too is that especially in the high end auctions like RM, is that you don't see the negotiations going on with the seller like you see at most auctions, like at the Meekums and the, the more regional type auctions that are more mainstream, what we like to call mainstream auctions, I guess, 
where you see the negotiation going on with the with the the seller and the buyer and everybody's working everybody in the room and it's like golly it's a lot of moving parts it seems to be in in watching you guys is that that everything's pretty much set with the seller you don't there's not much going back to him and going hey would you take a lot less money for your car <laughs> so. Well, I, I don't think anybody's immune to that. <laughs> sure. I think what, what's different at RMM, at, you know, an auction like ours, as opposed to some of the others you mentioned, it's not front and center trying to get done in one minute because the other car is already like, beep, beep, I'm here, excuse me, time's up. Exactly. So it can, it can be a little more subtle, a little bit more organic, but there are times you've got somebody who's got a reserve on a car and you, you know. You're one bit away from this thing selling to somebody, and and they go and they they say, "Hey, you talk to her." Yeah, that- <laughs> yeah. And again, really around. common and happens a lot. But you're right; it's not quite as overt as what you see some other. Places. Amazing year for RM Sotheby's. My goodness, the I mean, you know, what happened in Monterey was just gives me chills to think about. I mean, it. I mean, I know you guys expected a great sale. Did that just leaps and bounds better than what you expected? We expected a great sale. And it all performed just how it needed to, right. right? So, you know, you you set these things up and you've got a low estimate and a high estimate. But a lot of that is based on the assumption that you're going to sell, or you're going to sell 85%, you're going to sell 95%, you're going to sell all the cars. You know, not all the cars are no reserve. So you're always working along just to make sure your sell-through rate is what it is. Right. Um, but a quarter of a billion dollars worth of cars in three days. <laughs> It was bigger. It was bigger than the cumulative total of every other auction house. Wow. Every other auction, and then we won uh, our restorations. RM Restorations had uh, the Duesenberg that yeah. won Pebble Beach Concord. Yeah, best in show. No, just best in show at the Pebble Beach Concord. The We all sort of walked out going. <laughs> All right. We so went, if that's the new bar, we got a lot of work to do for next year. <laughs> and, and you also think wise career choice too, especially for you. I mean, not a bad first year, right? You know, and, and you take most of the credit, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, we've got, we have sales specialists all over the world. Uh, it's amazing. That day in and day out are looking for the best stuff. So all the credit goes to those folks. You know, and, and, and the other part of credit due, uh, is, I imagine that when you're bringing cars from overseas to here, the paperwork trail and the titling and the registrations are a nightmare. And hats off to the girls and guys in the office who do that on a regular basis because that is no easy feat. It's that's why you have a a department. Yeah, it's not like one person. You have a department because you're right. It's never ending. Where's where's the car? And when you list the car and it's in a certain country. There are duties and things that may be associated with it for it to get out of that country. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get that lined out right, the worst thing you could do is surprise a buyer or a seller with fees and things that nobody saw coming because it's not professional and it doesn't show that we would have the expertise that we so we work for. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we talk about every day here about managing expectation. If you know that here's car is not going to be up on the website for a week. Don't let them think anything different. Don't let them think it's going to be up tomorrow because they dropped it off this morning. Uh, let them know that it's going to be a week. Let them know that it's going to take a few days for their title to get there. Let them know these things because nothing worse than taking a phone call for, an, for a question that should have been asked and answered a week ago or a month ago or whenever it is. So 
Uh, I appreciate that. Don't tell my wife that you have a whole staff for for that department though, because she's like a one and done here. So she's like, she's our only title clerk. And we're like, uh, she's like, I, I feel pretty busy today. I go, well, you know, we only sold 110 cars this month. What, what are you crying about? <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny uh, when you grow to a level that you had hoped to grow to and be that in the auction business or the consignment business or whatever business it is, all kinds of new challenges come up and you learn, you take a job that was, you know, one guy doing three things and now it's three guys doing one thing because there's just so much more work to do. And I know just taking the cars and making sure they will start and get across the block. I mean, talk us through the, that, that end of it and how they make that happen on a regular basis and very rarely. And, and I'm not trying to jinx it. Do you see a car at your sale that doesn't come up on its own power on the block? How do they do that? Yeah, well, again, we've got a great team. We have a, a restoration shop. So if there's something that comes in that we have on a consignment that we know needs a very specific amount of work, so it can do that drive, so it can be tested, so you can advertise it as a fully running and functional vehicle, well, it comes to Chatham, Ontario, mm-hmm. and it goes through that, that process. I've seen them where they have taken carburetors from um, from a collector's garage mailed them up, rebuilt them, sent them back. I mean, there's a million different ways to slice it, all the way to full frame-off restorations of these cars to get them to what they're supposed to be. But, you know, some venues don't let you start a car and drive it over. I love an auction, anybody's auction, where you actually hear the car run. I just think it's cool. Cars are... I'm a driver. Like, I like stuff that you can hear run a little bit and get that passion flowing. Um, and I think that's exciting for people. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, and it's so, always fun though. Like when I do the reading at some of the auctions, so I stand up front and I'm, I'm helping the auctioneer kind of with, with some flow and, and talking about the descriptions of the cars and things like that. And every now and then you'll get one that comes up behind you. We all know what that old skunky fuel smells like. <laughs> and you go by and you're like, that one's a fresh out of long-term collection storage. <laughs> the car speaks to you and truly it speaks to you with that, right? Uh, I like the reserve format of auctions for a number of reasons. I, I you know, better than a no reserve auction, I guess. And I, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody other than to say is, it's nice to know that that you're not going to disappoint your customer. And you may not even know it. He may never tell you. And then you get less than you really wanted for the car. But he's agreed to no reserve. You know, there there's a lot of really smart people who have analyzed this over the years. And they will tell you that there's a percentage, 15%, something like that, 20% of, of, a, of a bump, perhaps, out of a no reserve car over a car with a reserve on it. It does give a heightened sense of urgency. This car is going to sell. When you're on the microphone, you're always making sure you tell people this car is going to sell. And that does spark some people into action. Sure. Some people are never going to do it because there's something inside of them that says, well, I'm not giving my car away <laughs> for 20 grand. So nobody shows up. Well, if that's never going to be the case, right? I mean, the, this place would crumble to ashes if, <laughs> hell, I'd be up there. Hey, I got 25. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it right here. Can I do that? Is that legal? You, you know, I mean, so that, that kind of thing. Sure. But that is when you get to a point you get to close that those discussions can sometimes happen because the person's fears are allayed. And when that reserve does drop, you can see it. It spurs bidding again. Yeah. There's a lot of psychology in this stuff that's, uh, 
works in on behalf of the seller in many cases and the buyer. Well, that's why you you know that's why the auction houses start driving the car off the block as the bidding is is going forward, and they're they're trying to encourage people to say, oh, you know, hey, you better get on this or it's leaving, and you'll never have this opportunity again. And, and you know what's cool though yeah. is is the cars that you know are high dollar cars that are they put in no reserve, and you think, wow, how cool this guy's got some nerve because you know. A million dollar difference on a thirty million dollar car is not as much. You know, it's a relative a, a number from twenty nine million to thirty million for a car. Uh, but you could disappoint the guy certainly. I mean, it's like if you tell a guy in business, "Look, we're going to make a million bucks this year, and we only make nine fifty. and he's like, "Well, gosh, thought we were going to do better than that." <laughs> it's like well, we made nine fifty. Yeah, but but think about it this way too: you're going to sell a ten million dollar, eleven million dollar Jaguar D type, something like that, right? There's so few. Let's say it's got race history. You know that there's already a short list of, of collectors around the world that are uh, frothing at the mouth to buy that car or one like it. So you're pretty safe. And you probably have a few bids in your pocket um, before things start to know that, okay, I'm going to have, again, I'm going to have this guy who's already on it at $8 million right. before we start. So no reserve means yes, it's going to sell, but I think at that level, it's highly unlikely that a, that a, the right expectation. Well, and and I mean, your guys' customer base is second to none, probably. I mean, I would imagine it's the if you could if you could you know crystal ball into it, it'd be a who's who of business leaders and tycoons and high net worth individuals who you know you know who to call when you get a D type Jag in, you know who to call when you get a two fifty GTO in. There, it's not like you go, oh, I wonder who we're going to sell this to. You know, it's not a sixty seven Camaro. Yeah, but you know, it's also fun. So, you know, Sotheby's, the main, you know, uh, fine arts and watches and luxury goods, all that sort of stuff, they now own a bigger chunk of RM. That's why we're RM Sotheby's, right? They are our, our mothership, as it were, at this point. We've had 10, 20% of cars that some of our auctions sell to fine art buyers that are coming in from the Sotheby's side. Wow that we may not have had specific knowledge of them as a car collector, but when, honestly, when someone buys a $400 million painting or something, and then they're like, oh, that, that Ferrari BBI is cute. It's like, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Throw that in the truck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. Thanks so much, Brad Phillips, Senior Vice President of RM Sotheby's and uh, a new friend of the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Take care. Listen to the Classic Auto Mall Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Pandora, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Casts, Listen Notes, Podcast Index, Player FM, and, of course, ClassicAutoMall.com. Advertise your product or service around the world on America's web radio for only $5 for a 30-second spot. You can send us your pre-recorded spot, or we can produce it from your copy. There is a minimum purchase of 20 spots. We will provide a confirmation of play affidavit at the conclusion of scheduled run. For more information, email gm at americaswebradio.com. That's gm at americaswebradio.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't delay. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. 
For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. In our final segment of this classic automall best of, Stuart talks to one of the principals of one of the biggest little car shows around who tells the story of the one and a half million dollar sign. I want to welcome our guest in the studio, uh, Chuck Harders from the Red Horse Motoring Club in Pottstown. I hadn't seen you since uh, Her- that, Hershey. No, Hershey, that's right. It wasn't yep. that long ago. No. Nope. How was Hershey for you? It was good. And sorry, I'm a little distracted. You're kind of not doing <laughs> your guests a service here. I, ha- I have to talk to you and I have to stare at uh, an AC Cobra, a 427 Corvette, a Stutz pre-war. Like, come on, dude. Put a wall up here so we can... We cannot be distracted. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, you know, I never think about things like that, but we have car shows out in the parking lot on Saturdays when we normally record. Yeah. And, and Steve and I will be talking on the air and <laughs> right. look at that. What is that? You know, and yeah. you know, you wonder the poor listeners can't see it yeah. uh, and can't see what you view, but you can go on our website and see all this and our drone footage too. If you haven't seen the drone footage of our place, it's pretty amazing. Uh, a guy flew through here and went through cars and through windows. I watched it. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Really incredible. So Hershey was good for you. One of my first mentors in the collector world in the, in the auto, let's say, let's call it automobilia collecting because I collect everything. It right. seems, but drive my wife crazy, but, <laughs> um, was Charlie Shellbaum. And I didn't know if you know Charlie back in the day and. He was literally called the King of Hershey. Right. Yeah. Uh, he never, he was there from the first year until the, the year he died. He had the best tent there with the best stuff. He was just an epic collector. He'd, he'd go over to Europe and fill three containers full oh. of stuff and bring it home and take it right to Hershey. And stuff you uh, never see anywhere else. Like, nowhere not, else. Yeah. No, nothing else. So he, he was a great mentor and taught me a lot in the beginning years of my collecting automobilia. People, when, when they say automobilia, a lot of people have a misconception about some of it. It's not the fake cheap Chinese signs and it's not the, the cheap neon stuff. This is real hardcore automobilia stuff. Yeah. Ferrari prancing horses that are six feet tall. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I collect, I try to collect the super rare, um, we're old, old statues, bronzes, fine art and that, and then bleeding all through the, signs, neons, sure. gas pumps, all that stuff. There was, I just read the other day, there was some uh, uh, gas pumper or, or neon sign that sold that was a special kind of oil company. I can't remember. I wish I'd have written it down. Musco. Musco, yeah. 1.6 million. <laughs> One sign. So you knew immediately. I love that you, I love that you know that. Yeah. Um, was that in an auction somewhere? Or is yeah, that, yeah, it was uh, Jordan Richmond, a buddy of mine. He right. owns Richmond Auctions and... uh it was a, it was a, you know, mint example. Sure. What uh, makes it so rare? I mean, what, because, because you collector guys say it is or, or, or what makes something like that so valuable and so rare? Right. So, <laughs> so for me, we right. won't get into the, the deep conversation of rare because it drives me crazy. Sure. Everything's rare today and <laughs> right. almost none of it's rare. Right. 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 The Musco is more, um, desirability. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a somewhat rare sign. Sure. But there's plenty of them out there, you know. Right. I own pieces in my collections that the only one known or two known. 
there's 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 dozens and dozens and dozens of Musco signs that are known and, that are known and, and out in collections and <laughs> and I've, I've owned one before. Unfortunately, I didn't want to <laughs> own one last week, but right. Um, but it's more desirability. It's got an incredible image of American Indian. You know, it's just colorful and. And what brought 1.6? I have no idea. Because what would have been the record up for one of those prior to that? About uh, Morphe sold one for 275 ish before that, right. and that was probably a scratch your head. Oh my that god, was crazy that was crazy numbers, and wow. everyone's going, oh my god. And then that hit it, and then more. Uh, Morphe sold one the week or two weeks ago right. for I think 350. Um, really? Now, now it wasn't the condition of the 1.6, but it was darn close. Right. So. Um, the sign world is absolutely insane right now and, it, and has been for a long yeah, time, actually. Because guys who have collections of cars need cool stuff to put on their walls. Right. And they don't want the typical, you know, Bob's big boy over here and the 400 neon signs. Barrett Jackson now does two days of automobilia before the cars start. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was really fueled, in my opinion, that the sign world, the gas pump world, all that stuff, automobilia was fueled by just a bunch of weirdo collectors sure. that love that stuff. Sure. And now the car guys are really in it to win it. Sure. In the last, I would say, seven, eight years. So ten years ago, when clients were asking me, "Is this kind of, is this, is this it? This is right. where it's going to be?" Yeah. And I, no, no. But the car guys haven't even gotten into it yet. Yeah. And now the car guys are getting into it, and it's just gone up and up and up. And the rare is rare, and the rare is going to keep selling at high numbers. And that's no different than what we do here in our world. You know, right. classic cars and and memorabilia. It's like you said. I say it all the time. There's rare versus desirable. Just because it's rare doesn't mean anybody cares. Absolutely. You know, but <laughs> we were at the RM sale and I was bidding on a Rolls Royce, uh, flying lady, uh, ashtray mm-hmm. and it got to $700 and my wife looked at me and she goes, you know, you're bidding $700 for an ashtray. You don't even smoke anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but it, yeah. it kind of got caught up cool. in the moment, you yeah. know, and it was really cool yeah. and it wasn't something obvious and something that you see every day. I mean, the, the, there's memorabilia guys that have the stuff that everybody sees that you see on a regular basis that 90% of the guys have in their collection. And then there's the other guys. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. The yeah. high end collector who's yeah. got 20 or 30 cars wants yeah. some cool stuff on his walls. For sure. You know, you look at Leno's garage and he's got those huge, massive posters. posters. Oh my yeah. God. And they're so cool on the way yeah. that they're done. Yeah. And we tried to kind of replicate that here. We bought a lot of posters from Ford and General Motors. They mm-hmm. have, they have factory shots that they sell you. So how do you tell if something's real or fake in that world? It's not like well, matching pa- numbers. Paper's hard, you know, first right. of all. And I, I collect old posters. I like the real early, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s stuff. And um, that, that's actually easier than the, the you know, 40s, 50s, 60s stuff. Right. Because now with the printers that are out there, you got to take <laughs> it out of the frame. You got to look at the back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, once you know, people say, well, how do you know? How do you know if the sign's real? Well, it's what I do every day. I live it, right? So that's how I know. Yeah, right? I know because I know. Don't yeah, ask me and, so and many. You know questions. where the fakes are coming from? From Argentina and India, and you know, all of a sudden, e- eBay has thirty Moscow right. signs, and right now, especially, on. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so you're, when you're in it to win it, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You just know. You know, everybody loves old gas pumps that has cars, and they want to fill their buildings with it. I, th- I think signs are still uh, the, the the big boy on the market, right? Unfortunately, there's kind of there's kind of two worlds. Really, it's the old world that I I was taught by the Charlie Shell bombs that mm-hmm. collected mascots and bronzes and the fine art kind of right. side of automobilia. And then you got the new crop of guys that are just like signs and pumps. And right. That's it. Right. So the old world guys, 
they're they're kind of getting old, right? And, and they're and some of them are dying off, and and those collections are not bringing what they used to bring, right? Mascots were hot as can be in the seventies and eighties, and guys right. went crazy and had eight hundred mascot collections right. and all that. Now new those. guys, they don't even know what they are, right? They like them, they're cool, <laughs> but but they're not paying fifty five hundred bucks for a mascot, you right? Know, exactly. That world's down, yeah. You know what I mean? And I I collect them. I'll still buy pave up for a great mascot, but the bulk of the collectors today don't even know what it is. Right. Um, but they do know what signs and, and, and gas pumps and that kind of stuff is neons. And, um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I collect what I love. Well, right? that's the Which best way to do it. What, what I was taught. Yeah. And I try to go in and buy whole collections and buy chunks of stuff. And I end up with extras and I kind of sell off the extras, sure. and, but I buy what I want and I don't care if what other people like or think. You don't go to sell at auctions. You go to events no. and sell one-on-one, face-to-face with buyers. That's your business model, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I go to the concourse shows, Amelia and Pebble, and all the places I see you at. Yep. And we we yep. go have a cold one together, yep. and um, you know, and I have a client base from over twenty-five years of doing this. I send some something here and there to an auction, but very rarely. Sure, because I don't need to. Right, uh, and I don't have to pay those charges, and you know, blah yeah. blah blah. But yeah. You know, for the for the future, I would say to anybody, if you're prospecting, give that up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just stop now. Right. <laughs> Collect what you love. Yeah. Enjoy it. If it ends up being worth a $1.6 million Moscow, yeah, absolutely. good for you. Yeah. Most likely it's not going to hey, be. Chuck Harders, let's talk about the Red Horse Motoring Club and what it is and where it is. It's is. You're down in Pottstown. Pottstown, PA. Pottstown, yep. PA, which is that? Is the hotbed of classic cars it's around here? Unbelievable! <laughs> I think the, it's so funny. It's unbelievable the cars that we see. You know, besides the car club, we'll talk about that. But mm-hmm. the car show that we now sure. run uh, in downtown Pottstown, I, I'm amazed that the cars that show up every show. It's unbelievable, and they're coming from a further distance. I would imagine the more popular it becomes, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and that's down on High Street, and it's the first Saturday of the uh, month, of the month for May, May through October. May through October. Yep. And, uh, it's an amazing, we've been a sponsor, I guess, since day, have we been since day one? Day one. one. Yeah, You've been we a have great been. sponsor well, and we appreciate it. Oh, we, we appreciate you. Listen, we, I look in our, our database and see where cars have come from, consignments and where cars are sold in Pottstown comes up conspicuously a bunch of times. It's you know? hot. Yep. It is really amazing. What, uh, what do you think that attributes to? It's uh, the more kind of blue collar guys who are into muscle cars and stuff like that mostly or? Uh, it's not, it's blue collar guys. It's not muscle cars though because it's, it's everything. I mean, right. once we took over the show, we kind of accepted every, everyone sure. said, Hey, bring yeah. it. If you love it, bring it. Yep. And we get, we get everything. We get everything from pre-war to muscle to, to exotic. Right. Uh, every show, but. The, just the surrounding area. I think there's been a car culture, or there has been a car culture that's robust back to the 50s. They used to do drag racing on High Street. Right. I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> wow. And you, you look into some of the old like magazines from the 50s and 60s, Pottstown was the mecca for cruising. No kidding. I mean, it really was. It's got a giant main street. It was right. four lanes at that time. And the main streets, I don't know, two and a half miles long. So it was a great cruising circuit. And at night, probably most of the businesses were closed. So yeah, we weren't yeah. bugging anybody. So it was hot. Oh, man. And I, mean, I meet, you know, I call them old timers now that, that that's what they did. You know, high that's school funny. in the seventies, you went down the high street and you cruised high street all night long and had a blast. Sure. So it's got an incredible history and, and we're surrounded kind of the tri county area all of uh, around there. And you know, the area from King, King of Russia, Philadelphia, sure. all the way up. It's, 
I just can't believe how robust the coal car culture is there. I think it's as robust here as it is anywhere in the world. I, I mean, I I, you know, people say Southern California and South yeah. Florida and Arizona, and that's great. And they are robust. But right. I don't know. There's something about this part of the world that it's permeated more than in just about anywhere I've ever seen. I'm with you. And it's amazing to watch the people come through uh, that we meet on a daily basis who have collections and 20, 30 cars and they're unassuming people. They're not, yep. they're not guys walking in and flashy suits and, you know, yep. gold chains and, you know, dripping diamonds. They're, yep. they're just regular guys that come yep. in who Absolutely. just have such a passion for the hobby. A lot of it has to do, I think, with the drag racing around here mm-hmm. that went on, not yeah. only the, the sanctioned and the unsanctioned <laughs> down high <laughs> right. street. So, um, so how many years has the cruise been going on now? The cruise goes back to the fifties. Wow, yeah, still it's, so. it's an it's a very historic car sh- uh, show. And you guys took it over when? We took it over like oh, three years ago. Three years ago, yeah. yeah, three years ago, and we're now we're um, we're six blocks of downtown, and we're averaging about seven to eight hundred cars. Probably <laughs> crazy, you know, eight to fifteen thousand people right. come out, and it's 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 not just the car people coming in. It's what's so cool and unique about that show. It's a nighttime car show. Right. It's downtown. Right. You know, and we have, we got beer gardens everywhere, restaurants. I mean, well lit, well yeah, lit. It's yeah. getting so busy. You know, my, my partner's own JJ Radigan's brewing company right, right on high street. It's a two hour wait to get in on wow. the car shows. I mean, it's, wow. it's packed. Listen, I, I hope that the hobby will continue to do because your business and my business are predicated on that. Yep. And, uh, but you know what? Wonderful to have you. Sorry. It took Thank us you, so long to make this happen. Yeah. No but, worries. Uh, Enjoyed having you on, and we'll have you on again as the future happens and new things we're doing. So Sounds uh, good, Stuart. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Chuck Harders. Thanks to Stephen Ethan, and we'll uh, catch you next week. You've been listening to the Classic Auto Mall Podcast with your host, Stuart Howden. Executive producer, Steve Safir. Produced and engineered by yours truly, J.R. Russ. Thanks for listening and sharing the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Available on ClassicAutoMall.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Questions, answers, or comments? Write us at podcast at ClassicAutoMall.com. And if you want to talk about buying a classic car seen on our website you're looking for a particular vehicle or want to consign your classic for sale write us at info at classicautomall.com or call and talk to a real live classic car specialist at 888-227-0914 that's 888-227-0914 music courtesy of the pat travers band for tour dates contact and stuff visit pattravers.com the Classic Auto Mall Podcast is produced by Car Smarts Media, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.